Well, good morning once again. Welcome, and welcome to those of you who are joining us online. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Pastor Graham. I'm the teaching pastor here at Elam Chapel. We've been working our way through the book of Galatians, sometimes referred to as the Little Romans. Um, And it's a great book. Uh, So much happens in it. It's very exciting. There's lots of imagery. There's lots of conflict. Uh, There's so much going on. And I'm really excited to continue today into chapter 4. So let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll get into it. Heavenly Father, Lord God, thank you for your Bible. Thank you for this book that you gave us that teaches us and instructs us Thank you for how relevant it is to our lives today. Thank you for the way that it speaks to us. We pray that your Holy Spirit would be so active in this place that you would be changing our hearts, that you would be reaching deep down into us to make those changes, make us more like your son. We love you, God. Work in us. In your name, amen. So last week we were looking at Galatians chapter 3, and Paul was using this wonderful imagery of Christians as children in God's household. And this is important to remember because this theme and image is going to continue in chapter 4, at least in the first part. So let's reread those last few verses of chapter 3 for context, and then we'll read chapter 4 together, and then we'll discuss. If you'd like to read with me, I'll be in the NIV. If you want to turn on your phones or on your Bibles, or we'll have the words up on the screen. We're starting Galatians chapter 3, verse 23. And we'll continue to the end of chapter 4. Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What I'm saying is that as long as an heir is under age, he is no different from a slave. Although he owns the whole estate, the heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were under age, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has also made you an heir. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not God's. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. I plead with you, brothers and sisters, become like me, for I became like you. You did me no wrong. 
As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you, and even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. Where, then, is your blessing of me now? I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? Those people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you may have zeal for them. It is fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good, and to be so always, not just when I am with you. My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, how I wish I could be with you now and change my tone, because I am perplexed about you. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh, but his son by the free woman was born as a result of a divine promise. These things are being taken figuratively. The woman, the women, represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she's in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that is above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Be glad, barren woman, you who never bore a child. Shout for joy and cry aloud, you who are never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Now you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. At that time, the son born according to the flesh persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit. It is the same now. But what does the Scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. Okay, that's our passage for today. There's a lot to work with. So I'm going to beetle, but... Um, I really encourage you to study this on your own. There's just so much going on here. Remember that the chapters and verses were not in the original text. Paul didn't write Galatians chapter 3 and then Galatians chapter 4. He just wrote the letter. We added the chapters and verses. The chapter separations were added in about the 4th century. Those were pretty early. And the verses came in during the 16th century and that's only important in that we need to remind ourselves that just because there's a chapter break or even a verse break doesn't mean that there's a break in the ideas and the thoughts. And so that's exactly what's happened here as Paul's beginning of chapter 4 is really just a continuation of the imagery that he was using at the end of chapter 3. So this is how Paul begins. What I'm saying is that as long as an heir is underage, he's no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. Paul uses the image of a Roman household with a man at the head and servants or slaves who work for him and the children who are being raised by their parents and to a certain degree but also by those slaves. Many households had a slave who was the equivalent 
of a butler. Many, and in the absence of a school system, many of the families also had a slave who was a lot more like a private tutor for their children. So it's important to remember that when Paul talks about the children having less freedom than a slave, he's not talking about a slave being somebody who works in a field, right? There's just, there's a little more going on. He's talking about slaves who are a whole lot more like household managers, which is by no means a defense of slavery in the Roman world. The field slaves thing definitely also existed and it was awful. It's only meant to clarify the context of what Paul is referring to. Verse three, so also when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. What an interesting turn of phrase. What does that mean? What are the elemental spiritual forces of the world? This seems to mean that the idea of natural laws, the fundamental building blocks of the universe, the way things work. And a very important one is the idea of cause and effect. That's a very important law. So much of how we see and understand the world is based on our understanding of cause and effect, right? I ask a question, you say, amen. Cause and effect. But what does it mean in a spiritual context? What is cause and effect spiritually? It means you get what you deserve. Some people call this karma, although that's incorrect because karma has to do with previous lives. But it's that idea that you get what you deserve. You act, and then God responds in accordance with your actions. And in fact, this seems very natural to us. This is the fundamental principle of all other religions in the world. We act, and God responds in whatever manner is appropriate to our actions. But Jesus has set us free from this law. God does not respond to us in the manner appropriate to our actions if we are in Christ. Instead, now the situation is that God acts and then God rewards us according to his righteousness. Not because of some action on our part, but simply because we have faith in the one that God sent. Verse 4. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. I want to take a quick pause here to reflect on the idea of Paul's use of the sonship language and why it matters. Notice that Paul doesn't simply say adoption. Paul is speaking to a mixed gender crowd. He knows that. He's not only speaking to men. Many of our Bibles often render Paul's words as sons and daughters in many contexts because we want it to be clear that, the, that Paul is speaking to both men and women. But in this context, it is only an adoption to sonship. Why? Because in the Roman world, daughters don't inherit Only sons inherit in that day. Paul's point, and that's as important because it means that Paul's point isn't that you are merely a member of God's household. Slaves were considered part of the household. 
But Paul's point is that you are not a slave. You are an heir. Your adoption to sonship, then, is an important distinction. And so Paul continues, because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. And this is so important, the idea that we are not slaves. To me, this is one of the most important things that we can talk about because it changes how you live Jesus says something very similar in John chapter 15, verse 15, one of my favorite verses. I no longer call you servants or slaves, same word, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You are God's friend, or at least God wants to be your friend. And this is so foreign to most of us, that God who made everything wants a relationship with you, wants to be part of your day, to be part of everything you do, to make a difference in your life and to shape you, to be more like Jesus every day, and then one day when this life is over, to spend eternity with him. Now that's good news. Can I get an amen? Now Paul transitions from this imagery of being a child in God's household to focus in on that image of slavery. And this is an important biblical image because it is also one of the main themes in the Old Testament. In fact, the entire Old Testament really boils down to one thing that God did. And he says it in Deuteronomy 15.15. That's funny, those were both 15.15s. I didn't notice that. Deuteronomy 15. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you. The entire Old Testament, the whole basis is that God's redemption of Israel from physical slavery in Egypt. And Paul says that now the New Testament is all about God's redemption of his people from spiritual slavery. Let's keep going. Verse 8. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. Here's another important biblical principle. Choose. You must choose. This features prominently in Deuteronomy as well. Some very famous verses. Deuteronomy 30, chapter, or verses 19 and 20. God speaking, This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God. Listen to his voice and hold fast to him. God says this is up to us. We get to decide. Are we going to follow the one who gives life, who is himself goodness, who is himself love, or are we going to choose our own way and separate ourselves from God? Necessarily, then, we are choosing a path away from goodness, away from love, 
away from life. Choose life. And this is so important to our lives as Christians, not only as a question of whether or not we want to be saved, that question that makes you a Christian, but even afterwards, choose to live God's way. Choose to focus on him. Choose to make God the center of your life, to lay down your own desires and urges in favor of God's will and the ultimate fulfillment that we find in him. We must choose God daily hourly. Now Paul reminds them and tells us a little bit about how the gospel message first came to the region of Galatia and how he met these people and also his lament of how the relationship seems to have changed. I plead with you brothers and sisters because like me or become like me for I became like you. You did me no wrong as you know it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you, just in case you were wondering if God ever does anything through sickness. There it is. It's because of an illness that the gospel first came to Galatia. And even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. Where then is your blessing of me now? I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth. And this is something else that many of us need to decide in our own lives. Are wounds from a friend better than kisses from an enemy, as Proverbs says? Is that true? Do you really believe that? Are wounds from a friend better than kisses from an enemy? It is so easy to be upset with, with someone who has told us something that we don't want to hear. But we will never grow that way. I hope that there is no one here who is so foolish as to believe that they are perfect and have arrived. If that's the case, if it's the case that nobody believes that they're perfect, then it must be the case that there are areas of our lives that need correction. God knows I have them. And if that's the case, how are we going to react when someone tries to correct us in that area? Because here's the real kicker. Very rarely, like we agree that there, there must be areas of our lives where we need correction, right? We all agree with that. But very rarely do we think that it's an area, very rarely when we get that feedback do we think that we need correction there. Because let's be real. If you knew you needed correction there, you'd have already done it, right? Because we're trying. So usually when we get that feedback, we're going, that's not a problem. I'm not, that's not the issue, right? And that's, that's that pride coming back up. It's that pride that's battling against the humility, the humble desire to grow and be more like Jesus. Paul is up against this with the Galatians because he is having to say some difficult things to them but he loves them dearly. He's concerned that they are being deceived and taken advantage of, and he wants what's best for them. Let's keep reading. These people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you may have zeal for them. It's fine to be zealous, providing the purpose is good, and so to be always, not just when I am with you. 
My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, how I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I am perplexed about you. We can see Paul's heart, his pastoral heart for these people, his care and love for them just coming out with these words. Paul's final image in this chapter is to contrast the new covenant against the old by using the story of Abraham once more. If you're familiar with Abraham's story, it is absolutely a story of faith, of listening to God and of going out on a limb. It is also a story of the disaster that happens when you try to follow God your own way and you try to be clever about it. Like, it is amazing that Abraham follows God's leading to go to Canaan, right? It is alarming when he tells the local king that his wife is his sister in order to try to save his own life. Right? There's sort of this both ways. And this happens with Abraham's legacy as well. God promises Abraham many descendants. Abraham is a wealthy man, but he is poor in the one way that really matters in his culture. He has no children. But God promises that that won't be the case. But Abraham is old. And Sarah is old, his wife. So they decide, they decide to get clever. Sarah, Abraham's wife, gives Abraham her slave, a woman named Hagar. And Abraham, the great man of God, the great man of faith, Okay, honey, if you say so. Sleeps with this slave girl, and he gets her pregnant. But that wasn't God's plan. God's plan was to continue Abraham's line through Sarah, and God does a miracle. Sarah gives birth to Isaac. God's covenant continues through Isaac, not through the son of Hagar, because that son is the result of human scheming, not faith in God. Paul has lots more to say about this. Tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh. Remember, human scheming. But the son, by the free woman, was born as the result of divine promise. These things are to be taken figuratively. The women represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves. This is Hagar. Now Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that is above is free and she is our mother. For it is written, be glad, barren woman, you who never bore a child. Shout for joy and cry aloud, you who were never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Now you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. At that time, the son born according to the flesh persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit. It is the same now. Remember, the context of this letter is that Paul, the gospel message, is fighting against the Judaizers. So that's the conflict. The Jerusalem on the earth against the Jerusalem in heaven. 
What does the scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman, but of the free woman. Paul implores the Galatians, and through them implores us to choose life. That we are children of the free woman. We have been set free from those elemental forces, the spiritual cause and effect of being dependent upon our own actions for right standing with God. Jesus turned all of that upside down. Don't now go backwards and make yourself responsible for your salvation. Striving for holiness is good. Working to be more like Jesus is good. But we don't do these things in order to be closer to God. We do these things because we are closer to God. So if you need to trust God for your life today, I'll invite you to come down to the front after the service and we would love to pray with you. If you're watching online, there's a button that you can press for prayer and if you're watching this at a later date, you can connect with us through our website, elamchapelwinnipeg.com. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your word. Thank you for this latest chapter in Galatians that we've worked our way through. God, there's so much going on here. Lord, sometimes we feel like we're just being blasted. But God, do a miracle. Do a miracle, God. Bring these things to our remembrance when we need them. Give us the mind of Christ. Have your Holy Spirit bring these things up when we need to remember them. And Lord, do a work in us to make us more like Jesus. Remind us that we are no longer slaves, that we are children of the free woman, that we have been freed from those elemental spiritual forces, and that our relationship with you is based on nothing but your goodness. Help us to rest in that, Father. In your name we pray. Amen.